1: Welcome to Administrative Static. This is John Vecchioni. I'm here with Mark Chenoweth, and we are joined by Clegg Ivey, uh, the... Um, uh, Director the, of Engagements. Yeah, d- well, well no, I, I know that, but I was really, I was looking for a word, the, the grand poobah of the <laughs> King, George, King George Third prizes. I was looking for a, a, a proper uh, title for that. And, um, you found it. I'll take <laughs> Grand Boobah, <Ruba> for sure. <laughs> so, uh, Clegg has, from the uh, announcement of the brackets, uh, all the way to the final um, uh, win, and uh, we'll get to that in one second. I don't think we've said on the radio program who has who has won, but it came down to, well, why don't you tell us, Clegg, who did it come down to, and what happened? Well, i tell you what, it came down to the same two uh, abusive
0: uh, government figures that the straw poll at CPAC predicted it would back in early March, March 3rd or 4th of 2023, uh, we had thousands of CPAC folks who uh, were at that convention and who uh, voted on all of our nominees. And it came down to Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, and uh, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland. Uh, and so it was amazing that the, the straw poll was so accurate. Uh, not surprising when you consider what these two gentlemen uh, were up to last year. Uh, but yeah, that those were the two finalists, and uh, this was all the way from an initial roster of 32 nominees. We dropped the bracket the same day that March Madness started in the uh, NCAA final uh, NCAA basketball tournament because uh, we like to do the whole bracket thing. And uh, here we are. There's another bracket in March. Yeah. Uh, you know, you may not have heard about it, uh, but you know, I'm I, I like I like those deep cuts, Mark.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> So who uh, so how did the final vote go? First of all, where do the votes come from? Why don't you just refresh our audience? Where Absolutely.
0: We to- so we have uh, we have a, a website, KG three prizecom dot uh, that uh, every year and uh, starting on like March 14th this year, we put the brackets up there and everyone can vote. So you can go to that website and you can vote and uh, there's nothing to stopping you from going back and voting as many times as you want. And, uh, I'm, I'm told that Mark once a day, I think <laughs> we have some limits, but, uh, and then, uh, but we also would post polls on social media. So Twitter and Facebook, and, uh, uh, we had some funny videos on Instagram that would drive people. Hey, if you're, if you care about this, go vote for this guy or that gal. Um, and, uh, and it was, uh, you know, several months, March, April, and uh, May of voting. And then just a tiny bit of no, no, actually not at all June. It was May 31 was when we uh, cut it off. So yeah, that's, uh, that's how the votes came in. And we had four, uh, four or five million people Uh, that were, uh, that, that, that saw this campaign and, you know, some subset of those people actually voted, you know, maybe a a few thousand. Wow. Mm -hmm.
2: So Merrick Garland may have gotten more votes than some of the uh, people in presidential (laughs) primaries. uh, And certainly,
1: certainly in the Senate. (laughs) So, uh, so wow. Uh, That's big. That's a much bigger number than I thought. I am. I am surprised by that. Um, And, and, um, and, and who won? Well,
0: as it turns out, Merrick Garland was victorious. Our champion uh, for 2023, uh, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland uh, for so many reasons. But yeah, he edged out Gavin Newsom. It was it was closer than any of our previous uh, King George III prizes. Last year, Anthony Fauci ran away with it. I mean, it was not close. And in some ways, it wasn't really interesting. The whole uh, tournament <laughs> last year... Uh, people were, were asking us, why did you nominate anyone else? Um, and, uh, and then, you know, I don't know if you remember this, John, but the first year we did this is our third year. The first year we had two brackets we had two different tournaments, one for the federal and, and one for state. And the, the federal was interesting. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I think Nina Wakowski, the, the CDC director who uh, who did who was responsible in some ways for the uh, CDC eviction moratorium. Well, she, she signed the order. Yeah, she signed the order. She, she won the federal. But the state was another uninteresting. We had so many governors, but nobody like Cuomo. Cuomo just blew past everybody. So you got Cuomo as a, as a total uh, killer the first year. Uh, you know, and then you get Fauci as a killer the second year. This year, there was real competition. Now, it came down to these two guys, just like the straw poll said it would, but it was really interesting getting there.
2: <laughs> and now the, the other two people in the uh, – so, so we go from the – from the 32 bracket to the Sour 16 to the Elitist 8 to the Flagrant 4. That's right. And the other two in the Flagrant 4 were Richard Cordray of, of student uh, loan cancellation architect fame. Uh, and Elvis Chan of the FBI, who has been responsible for, the, for some of the social media censorship uh, that's been
0: taking place. Who did Merrick Garland have to knock out along the way? Well, in order to get here, right, uh, Merrick Garland first had to take on uh, Steven Dettelbach. Uh, director of the uh, ATF. Oh, so his own subordinate. That's right. That's right. And, and that, we did that because we're like, look, who does, who does America really blame uh, for the ATF? And, you know, of course, NCLA is pursuing the bump stock uh, case and we've had some success there. That's uh, right. Cargill v. Garland. That might be the reason why Garland appears on your bracket. Indeed. Indeed. Now, the next and the next level, uh, it, this, was, this was sad. Merrick Garland had to beat uh, Connecticut Attorney General William Tong. Now, a lot of people don't know why wouldn't know why William Tong is up there. He was uh, he was trying to basically uh, prevent lawyers from saying anything that uh, disagreed with the uh, the government narrative.
2: Plus, he gives our alma mater a bad name. <clears throat>
0: he does. He does. Uh, so that was an easy that was an easy uh, pass to that. That'd be the level. University of Chicago. I didn't say that, <laughs> <laughs> but that's right. <laughs> Go maroons. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then finally, well, you uh, know, William Tong is a maroon, so yeah, we
2: got that much going for him.
0: right. Uh, and then finally, Merrick Garland, uh, to get to the flagrant four, uh, he had to actually knock out Rob Flaherty, the uh, White House digital communications director. Now, you know, Rob Flaherty, like Elvis Chan and, and so many others, is at the heart of this lawsuit that NCLA brought uh, that is uncovering an incredible uh, government-wide scheme of censorship where the government is telling social
1: media who to de- whom to deplatform. And, and I also think – but this, this victory shows – that slow and steady wins the race because let's face it, Flaherty is a more flamboyant character than Merrick Garland is, okay? I mean, whatever Merrick Garland does, he does not do it with profanity.
2: Not not, not a flashy guy.
1: Not a flashy guy. Not not someone who who seems to take joy, whether he's doing something good or bad. He just seems the same every day. But Flaherty, by gum, there's a guy who would be on Succession.
0: Yep, absolutely. <laughs> you know, there was there was a period of time during the uh, the the KG three uh, voting where a lot of people were likening Rob Flaherty to Ted Lasso, so he got a little bit of a lasso bump uh, because the, uh, the 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 latest season of of that uh-huh. show dropped, and uh, people were saying we did some memes that. Uh, you know, I hope Rob Flaherty's not from Kansas. It would be very disappointing <laughs> to learn that. Yeah, so 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 that's how that's how Merrick Garland got to the flagrant four, and then Gavin Newsom uh, had a, had a similarly. Interesting. First, he had to beat uh, fellow governor uh, Gretchen Whitmer, Big Gretch, as, as some call her. Uh, that was the first round, and the second round, he destroyed uh, uh, Surgeon General uh, Vivek uh, Murthy, uh, U.S. Surgeon General, and uh, and then lastly, he went up against Michael S. Regan uh, of the EPA. And at no point, at no point, was Gavin ever in any danger. He was just so well known that name recognition, and he kept himself in the news. That's another thing that happens. A lot of these people are nominated. Because of what they did last year, but well, this is a 2022 oriented prize, even though we're giving it right this year. You gotta have time to build right, up the suspense, right? Right. But but for people like uh, Gavin Newsom and uh, Merrick Garland that keep themselves in the news, uh, it's just easier for them to coast to a, a victory. So uh, and, and and that certainly helped. This so year. so last year,
2: uh, after winning this prize, Anthony Fauci announced that he was retiring uh, from <laughs> government. I guess he figured this was the apotheosis <laughs> of his career. Uh, there was nothing else to be to be uh, to be won.
1: No no more worlds to conquer.
2: Exactly. Uh, do, do you expect Merrick Garland to step down now that uh, he has won the prize?
0: Well, it's it's even worse, Mark. I, uh, I expect that because we did not properly rebuke Gavin Newsom, which is what we should have done, I, I, I fear that he is now going to run for president uh and uh and w- because we did not convince him to uh to, to hang up his, sh- his wait, wait, shoes wait, wait.
2: you say what we should have done now john was the one arguing for <laughs> No, no, you were arguing uh, for merrick for garland, garland yeah. and and clegg was arguing for yeah. Gavin. that's right okay that's right so we we had a we had a an award ceremony where we bestowed yeah. this award and
1: i'll just i'll just tell you, my chief argument is that merrick garland is an actual bureaucrat whereas yeah. gavin newsom's been elected and he withstood he withstood a recall. He go- keeps going to the people. Whatever you say about him and his, his uh, tyrannical ways, and particularly on the free speech area, it's really something. Um, people keep putting them back there. Yeah, but
2: not people in the rest of the country. And California keeps
1: trying to regulate for the entire nation.
2: That so that's true. That's my concern. Let
0: me just throw in, John, that uh, pointing to the fact that someone got elected uh, when they have spent so much time trying to, to shut up the people that oppose them, and effectively use the power of the government to censor people, those elections, what do elections mean if we can't actually uh, criticize and talk about our uh, – So that, that's my fear. That's my fear, John, that a, a tyrant but, who hates the First Amendment is, uh, is not one that can ever be truly freely elected. You're right
1: about that, but I really think that what did not come up, as Mark has just alluded to it, but it really didn't come up, is his war on bacon. <laughs> Which you would think would have been, I think you would have won. Every red American. I, th- I, I yeah. think that the war on bacon by making the pigs have like penthouses or whatever the heck the law is there. So that if you're going to sell bacon in, in California, uh, should really be uh, more well known. Anyway. Well,
2: I don't like Gavin Newsom's chances in the Iowa caucuses. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> I put it yeah, that way. Yeah.
0: I'll tell you this next year, I think we should already be thinking about what's going to happen next year. Uh, like I said, the, uh, the URL is kg3prize.com. And you can already start nominating people for uh, for next year because it's for it's for things that they've done this year. So uh, I'm I'm told I have good, good, good authority that Lena Khan is already uh, has already been nominated by several people uh, who I don't know who else. But uh, but let's let's start working on next year. That's what I say. Some people have already had a year's worth of bad actions in the first
1: uh, right five months and uh so and, and we'll do it the same way you'll you'll make brackets absolutely y- and we'll drop them we'll drop them next year right to right when march madness starts looking forward to it king george third prize yes and uh we will see you then we will look with bated breath at who exactly is doing the worst yet again
0: it'll be fun
2: Welcome back to Administrative Static. Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchioni with you. And, and John, we filed a quote unquote brief in opposition uh, yesterday in the U.S. Supreme Court uh, in the case of Merrick B. Garland et al. v. Michael Cargill. Yeah,
1: this... more like a brief in response. Huh? Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, I was telling people ahead of time that uh, our brief in opposition was going to roughly make the argument. Please, please don't throw us into that briar patch. And, you know, I think that's essentially, in fact, we didn't even title it uh, a brief in opposition. We titled it a brief in support of, of certiorari because it is a brief in support of certiorari. Now, that might seem unusual to folks. Uh, now, if you've been listening to this program, you'll remember that when uh, the SEC appealed our victory in the Cochrane case from the Fifth Circuit up to the U.S. Supreme Court, that we likewise filed a a brief that wasn't really in opposition uh, to a grant of cert. Uh, the situation was slightly different there because the court was already going to hear the FTC uh, v. Uh, or on v. FTC case, and so we said uh, we just didn't want our question to be determined in the context of the S- of the FTC statute because we had some additional arguments that we thought weren't available to uh, folks who were being regulated by the FTC and the court ultimately granted that and, and decided the case in our favor in, in a, in a sort of multi-agency unanimous way that was terrific. Those aren't the same sort of factors in play here, John, but I do think that this is a particularly good vehicle for the court uh, to address the bump stock question. And I think when you have a criminal law, which this is where you have circuits on a, a deep circuit split, you have the fifth circuit and the sixth circuit and the Navy Marine, Criminal Court of Appeals, all on one side of the split. And then you have the 10th Circuit and the D.C. Circuit on the other side of the split. That's a deep split. It's not going to get it's not going to resolve itself. Uh, the court is going to have to uh, weigh in on this. Eventually, you can't have a situation where it's a felony to own something in some of the states and it's perfectly fine in yeah. other parts of the country. Oh, yeah, for Fed for a federal law. Right. right. Exactly. For a federal law. So uh, so then, the question is: If the court's going to hear it, then you know, when should they hear it, and and sort of on what uh, underlying uh, fact pattern, what have you? And and I think this is a perfectly good uh, vehicle that we had a full trial below. It's not up there in a preliminary injunction posture like the uh, Aposhian uh, right. v. Cargill case had been up on a preliminary injunction posture. There aren't a bunch of a sort of extraneous secondary issues in the case. Again, uh, some of the issues in potion were did it matter that the government had waived Chevron deference and that, that kind of thing. And we, we had really focused more on Chevron in that, uh, in that, uh, cert petition. Uh, and, and, um, and, and that was our, uh, that was our cert petition. That wasn't a, a response to the governments cause we had lost uh, below at the 10th circuit in that case. Uh, but here, um, it's a very clean issue that's that's presented. It's really this question of whether bump stocks are machine guns or not. It's a statutory interpretation question. And I think that uh, that the court is going to treat it as such. It's going to treat it as a, a straight-up statutory uh, interpretation a question. And we've talked on this uh, show before, and we'll have plenty of opportunity to talk in the future about sort of the the legal arguments in this case and why bump stocks are or are not. Uh, machine guns. Obviously, uh, we think that the Fifth Circuit's holding that bump stocks are not machine guns under Section uh, 5845B uh, is correct. Uh, but I think that that maybe the the better topic, John, to address today is well, why would NCLA
1: support a cert petition that's being filed in a case that we won? Right, and and it is an interesting question because you don't see it that often. And we, we saw a little bit, as you said, Cochrane, But I, I, I don't think it happens that often. But um, I saw it – I mean one of the things I noticed in our brief, um, which Samp uh, and yourself and, yeah, and Jonathan and, Mitchell and Jonathan as well, Mitchell, yeah. um, was about the rule of lenity, right? And from my perspective, and I wasn't uh, – I viewed a little, but I wasn't thoroughly involved. It strikes me that that rule of lenity – because you mentioned at the very beginning of this, this is a criminal statute, and the idea that the government is, is going to get a petition for cert on its questions – and then we don't get a laboring or on that issue and put it right out in front immediately for the court to realize that this is going to be a big part of uh, this case if they take it. Um, I I thought the rule of lenity on its own was a good reason to uh, to agreed for, that the court should take this.
2: Yeah, I think that's right, because there, there's there's there been a, a really a circuit split on that issue as well, because back in the 1990s, uh, in a case called... Uh, 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 Babbitt v. Sweet Home. Why am I suddenly blanking on the full name of that case? But because uh, I'm thinking of Sweet Home, Alabama yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. That's not, it's not, it. it's not That's not it. But it's, uh, it's Babbitt anyway. And there was a footnote in that case that suggested uh, that you could have deference to uh, administrative agency interpretations, even if there were criminal implications. But it was in a footnote. I think Scalia called it a drive-by footnote in, in, a, in a later opinion. Uh, But lower courts have really handled that differently as to whether or not there is different, whether or not there is deference to agency interpretations when there's this criminal uh, component to it. And
1: the rule of lenity, I'll just remind our audience, is the idea that if a statute is unclear, the tie goes to the accused, right? The the accused is the runner. The tie goes to the the accused, not to the government. Because the government had the opportunity to write the statute that in order to Direct your conduct. You should know what's illegal and what's not illegal. So the rule of lenity is the idea that if it's not clear that it was a crime, then the government can't come after you with its interpretation. Even if its interpretation might be right in some way, it wasn't clear, and as long as there was that ambiguity, lenity should be allowed. But Chevron, as we all know, is is that the agency gets to determine um, if it if it has a reasonable interpretation of the statute, it wins. So which is stronger, lenity or Chevron? Um, is is kind of how it goes. And which goes first? Do you first do Chevron and then do Lenity or do you do Lenity and then Chevron's out the window? It's not clear to me.
2: Yeah. And I think that the court needs to weigh uh, in on that. And uh, and I think that this case uh, gives it you know, a really good uh, opportunity uh, to do that. Uh, by the way, the, the name of the case I was trying to think of, Babbitt, Secretary of Interior v. Sweet Home Chapter of Communities for a Great Oregon
1: and you I, didn't remember that.
2: <laughs> I, I, yeah, that wasn't on the tip of my tongue. But anyway, uh, that was a 1994. Uh, uh, well, actually, uh, October term 1984, it was decided uh, June 29th, 1995. Uh, so you know, we've had this issue now for you know quite a quite a long time, whatever that is, 28 years or yeah. something, something like that. And I think it's uh, appropriate for the court to put that issue uh, to bed because it has been Uh, I mean, it's percolating, it's been, it's been percolating plenty. Absolutely, absolutely. But the other thing that that uh, that I think makes uh, what uh, Insulate did here makes sense is we're a public interest law firm. And that just, you know, and we obviously have this conversation with our clients when we bring them on that we care about their case, we want them to win. uh, But the reason that we're representing them is for the public interest and not just for their private interest. And I think that in this case, that, you know, there isn't really any conflict between the two, because I think it doesn't do all, you know a whole lot of good for Mr. Cargill, who is in the, uh, he owns a gun store, he sells guns. He doesn't want to you know sell, he's in the Fifth Circuit, but he has customers in Oklahoma right. who are in the Tenth Circuit. He doesn't, you know, and they've, yeah, and,
1: they've ruled the other way on this. And, and right? he didn't go all this way just to sell bump stocks. He went this all this way because he doesn't want to. Uh, Uh, the ATF to be able to do anything it wants at any time, because that has a lot of uh, repercussions for things that aren't bump stocks. That's right. And that's why I say this case is not about gun control. It's about law
2: control. It's about who gets to write statutes. And if ATF gets away with rewriting this statute to ban bump stocks, then it's going to rewrite other laws. It's going to wrest more power away from Congress. Uh, So that's why even though uh, Michael Cargill won below NCLA is not opposing the government's petition Ah, uh, for a writ of certiorari, we think it's in the public interest for the court uh, to to weigh in on this, uh, for uh, on the unlawfulness of ATF's bump stock ban, and really to reassert Congress's primacy uh, in this area. This is, these are criminal laws. It's Congress's job to write criminal laws. It's not the job of the agency. Congress didn't even give ATF the ability to write legislative rules. They they don't have that power, which is something that I don't know about most, but a whole lot of yes major agencies have legislative rulemaking capability. So obviously Congress didn't intend to, uh, to, you know, to either delegate or in any way turn loose of its ability to be the regulator uh, in this area. And so I think that, that uh, and, and I hasten to say, we, we began this case in the last administration. This was the Trump Department of Justice that right. originally took uh, this shortcut that's unlawful uh, to try to regulate bump stocks. And you know this administration uh, obviously hasn't hasn't turned back uh, from that.
1: Um, and you know it is unusual because uh, it, it under Trump that it was the bump stock ban was kind of looked like it was going to pass to me anyway as as a in, in Congress, yeah, in Congress, yeah. yeah. And um, and I then think, we,
2: I think Senator Feinstein thought so, yeah. So
1: and we you know we wouldn't be involved in this case if that was the case, right? And right. So, if Congress had passed this, we would not right be involved. exactly. So um, it does it does strike me that that. Even now, if I were the administration, I think they could get a win on this, but they, they just want to use administrative power just to use it, even when they could get a perfectly fine win. It, it's just baffling to me.
2: Give me even today, you think that they- Oh, sure. It, it, you know, what was interesting to me is uh, uh, Senator Cornyn had supported that uh, gun control law that went through Congress. Was that last right. summer? Yeah. And they didn't make the bump stock ban a it, part of it's this. It's crazy. So, you know, they, I don't think there's a majority, uh, well- if there were a majority in Congress to support it, why didn't they include it in that bill? Yeah. I think I think that's uh, interesting uh, that they that they didn't do that. Uh, but in any event, uh, I'm very happy for uh, for Michael Cargill, our our client, who, uh, Austin, Texas gun shop uh, owner who um, who by the way uh, struck a deal with ATF at the beginning of this that they would hold on to his bump stocks. So uh, if he does ultimately win this uh, case, even though you know I think millions of, or no, is it uh, half a million, I think, mm-hmm. uh, bump stocks were estimated to be in circulation at the time this ban went into effect. And and so most of those have been destroyed or turned in. Uh, and I don't know that ATF is, has saved uh, very many of those, but at least Mr. Ipotian, uh and Mr. Cargill, our clients, uh, have uh, you know, have them in in the custody of ATF and we'll be getting them back uh, when they'll be when like they the legal this. Cuban
1: cigars. Right. That's right. <laughs> that's
2: exactly right. That's exactly or or, or the legal machine guns uh,
1: uh,
2: in, in, in some ironic Grandfathered way. In, yeah. yeah. But uh, but in any event, uh, bomb stocks are not machine guns. And I think that's what the Supreme Court uh, is going to decide. Stay tuned. We'll keep you posted.